0: Hungry Trilobite Podcast would like to acknowledge conventions such as WhedonCon. WhedonCon is a fan-generated charity event for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Firefly, and all Joss Whedon creations. It is scheduled for October of 2020 and is held in Los Angeles, California. portion of the proceeds benefit the Los Angeles LGBT Center as well as the Ron Glass Memorial Scholarship. See details at WhedonCon.com. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have an excellent episode up. We have John Lim and Andy Bray, authors of Making Fake Star Trek, a book—actually, two books— Making Fake Star Trek and Making More Fake Star Trek about their role in the production of the Star Trek fan series New Voyages, also known as Phase 2. I really enjoy this talk because this is a fantastic merging of new media and old media using the internet to recreate the 1960s series Star Trek. Let's get started. On mic today we have John Lim and Andy Bray. How are you doing, guys? Doing great. Thank you so much. I'm- Addict. Really glad to have you guys here. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you guys wrote the book Making Fake Star Trek. Mm-hmm. But more over that, you guys were on one of my favorite internet projects, Star Trek New Voyages. Ah. We and I feel like we have to take a little bit of a time warp here because uh, if somebody's getting into Star Trek now, if they're like – we just had the, the announcement of season three of Discovery. Mm-hmm. Star Trek is big news right now. Yeah at this point in time we're going to be talking about it wasn't it was a, it was a kind of a lull in star trek history and that's when these projects got on board so a lot of the stuff i want to talk about is a different world compared to the way things are now sure so could you guys talk a little bit about your book and why it was so great getting into this new voyages project
1: well i'll, I'll turn it over to andy first uh we actually wrote two books and the first book Uh, is about our introduction into the New Voyages uh, fan film. And then we wrote a follow-up book, uh, Making More Fake Star Trek, which was about the next episode that we did. But uh, I'll let Andy share his story first.
2: Yeah, it was, well, like you say, it was a different time. And we talk about that in the book, that that Star Trek fans have a tendency to when there is a lull in real Star Trek, so to speak, uh, fans kind of fill the void. In the 1970s, it was fan fiction. And in the early 2000s, it was fan films. Uh, the, the low cost of making internet productions suddenly made uh, studio Star Trek making possible to dozens of different fan groups. And New Voyages was one of the first to start incorporating actual uh, professionals who work on real Star Trek. And and the project that brought John and I in was To Serve All My Days, which had Walter Koenig reprising his role as Chekhov, written by DC Fontana. Uh, We had Kevin Haney, who didn't work on Star Trek, but had won an Oscar for doing makeup on uh, Driving uh, Miss Daisy. And so it was kind of this point where Star Trek fan films were becoming very professional. And they they weren't licensed. They weren't real, which is why we call it, you know, fake Star Trek. (laughs) But it was the, the closest thing at the time. And it was just exciting that the opportunity to play Chekhov opposite walter Koenig, and then we were lucky enough because that one did so well that uh george takei heard about it from walter and, and decided he wanted to do an, the next one he'd he'd been itching to play captain sulu since uh, star trek six and since the voyager episode flashback and and we gave him the opportunity with world and time which we talk about in our second book
1: andy why don't you tell uh aaron and aaron's listeners how you got involved into serve all my days because that's a pretty cool story
2: Right, I was doing. I was actually doing real Star Trek with quotations and a caveat. It was a Star Trek stage production, but it was produced by Paramount and the Improv. And it was essentially, in the 1990s, there was this stage production of The Brady Bunch that was The Brady Bunch, but done for laughs. And it, it eventually spawned The Brady Bunch movies. And it kind of became this off-Broadway big hit. And Paramount was hoping they could have similar success with a Star Trek production. Uh, and so... Mike Carano, who's a photographer at the improv, directed it. And it was, we took the episode, one of the episodes considered the worst of Star Trek, Spock's brain, and Mm -hmm. we did it live on stage, directly from the script uh, with actual sound effects from the episode played honestly, played seriously, but for laughs, uh, tongue in cheek. And we did uh, 14 episodes down in Orange County because they thought if we did it in LA and it wasn't a success, we would kill the franchise. And uh, but it ended up being kind of almost a Rocky Horror Picture type vibe from the audience. They loved it. We took it to Vegas, and we happened to perform on Thursday, which was the slow day. But it also happened to be the day that Walter Koenig was there. And so my co-star Gabe Diani, who played Spock in Spock's Brain, convinced me to go up to Walter while he was doing Q and A on the stage and say, "Hey Walter, we're doing a production of Spock's Brain. Would you come and see it?" He said, "Oh, absolutely. You." I saw the poster in the vendor's room, and of everyone on the poster, you look the most like who you're supposed to look like. And then he came and sat center, front row center and watched the production, came backstage afterwards, thanked us all. Uh, he came up to me and said, Andy, I noticed when you do check-off, you do this thing with your lip. Why do you do that? And I told him, uh, well, gee, Walter, um, I was studying the part. I couldn't do the accent at first. And I watched episode after episode, and then I realized as soon as I did the lip thing this Elvis lip thing i was able to do the accent i I don't do that "Uh, a little bit no i don't think so i'll look back at the episode but i don't think so and i thought well i met my hero i might have ruined it put my foot in my mouth but i met my hero what a cool thing that was and then that was summer by that winter i got an email from director of uh, new voyages jack marshall saying Walter Caney is doing an episode of New Voyages, and he saw you doing a play, and he wants you to play the young Chekhov in the episode. And from there, it was just like dream come true. You know, work with Walter, go to his house to rehearse, and it was just absolutely amazing. And that's where I met John. Yeah. You know, yeah.
1: I, had- while, while Andy was acting in the stage play, I had actually uh, discovered the rabbit hole of fan films, starting with Star Wars fan films, which I think in 2004 were a little more prolific, but there were... Uh, as Andy mentioned, there were a growing number of Star Trek fan films. Uh, some set in the next generation era. A lot of them use CGI or you know uh, computer effects. But then I stumbled onto this one called New Voyages, and I was just blown away by the fact that someone went to those lengths to recreate the original 1960s sets, actually physical sets and costumes. And I saw the pilot episode uh, which I think you can still see on YouTube, and I noticed that um, Sulu was not in the episode. They had a throwaway line that he was away on a mission, and uh, I had actually just started getting back into acting after a long time away, and on a whim, I just decided to reach out uh, to, to the producers. Uh, you know, That included Jack Marshall, the director, also James Cawley, who played uh, uh, Captain Kirk, and um, Long story short, I mean, basically, I I pitched myself for the role. I went up to Ticonderoga, where the sets used to be, and uh, took a tour and and basically was, was given the opportunity to play the role. And that's where I met Andy. And uh, the rest is told in these two books.
0: And that's fantastic. I And what I love is that these two books are capturing arguably the two greatest episodes of the series as a whole so somebody's going to grab those and they're going to get the best of the best and i mean if you look at new voyages there's no clunkers every episode is great for its own rights um i'm not going to get into spoilers i'm not in that business but uh to serve all my days ends with a very deliberate throw up thumbing its nose to continuity let's say that (laughs) <laughs> and we when cover I, that in the book. Yeah, and 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 that's that's one of the, the greatest parts about it, is that they they just say we're going to tell a great story and whatever happens happens and that oh. that is you don't get I'm glad you see it that
1: way or and not. You know, that there was a big controversy over that ending. And as we describe it, I call this the—I call, to serve all my days, the Blade Runner of Star Trek fan films. I mean, there, there are probably about four or five different <laughs> cuts of this film. Several different endings were made <laughs> for it. Uh, Andy, uh, as he tells in one chapter, actually had to— you know reprise the role to film a brand new ending and uh by then andy had had cut his hair pretty short not this short but he had cut it pretty short so uh as he shares he had to actually put on a wig which actually mirrors what i was was gonna say that was (laughs) the original series (laughs) so i mean there's a lot and and in both books you see a lot of I, i really think you see a lot of callbacks to star trek history uh, just in terms of the stories and the events, as well as just getting to act with these two legends.
0: That's unreal. And so what I love about this is um, you got you start off the book, both of you just gushing over the fact that you're really into Trek, and that's a great tone to start on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you're still carrying that exact same energy right now. I mean, what is it like just being able to go and play Star Trek on camera?
1: Oh, gosh. I mean, you know, for me, it was just it was really I grew up uh, watching the original series in in reruns. You know, I was I was uh, born in the 70s. And then as a kid, it was just it was in syndication heaven by then. And so I would watch it after school and just fell in love with it, you know, got into the movies later on. And then uh, I will tell one story that uh, when I was in college, uh, I, I that was around the time that George's uh, uh, autobiography came out to the stars. I had actually bought a copy and uh, I had just come back from class. I was going to go grab my copy. i had seen a flyer on campus that he was signing copies of his book and I just missed him. Like he was literally going out of the, of the building as I was r- running down to try to catch him and I missed him. And I was just like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe I missed the opportunity to to meet George and to have him sign this book, which was fantastic. And then uh, who knows? I, just the the idea that ten years later not only would I get to meet George, but I would get to, you know step into that role uh, opposite him. It was just kind of crazy. It was just it's just unbelievably surreal. And I know Andy had a very similar experience in in the first book, which he talks about, you know, just working with Walter.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Uh, the, one of the cool things about that episode, to serve all my days, is, is I don't just age into Walter and then, you know, young Chekhov becomes less young Chekhov. It, <laughs> we actually get to share scenes together yeah. because there's this metaphysical kind of uh, very Russian instance where the two Chekhovs are discussing their life together. Uh, Walter's Chekhov and my Chekhov are drinking tea right across the, the little table, the little... Uh, uh, TOS quarters table that you see in the original Star Trek, and we have three scenes like that where we uh, get to check off and check off together, and that to me was absolutely amazing. I mean, it's one thing to get to put on the uniform, which is really cool, and to get to play Star Trek, and you know, to get to to rock when the ship gets the five torpedo and all that other stuff that fans dream about doing, and it's so cool to be on that bridge, but to get to wear the uniform across the table from. Walter check checkoff. who's wearing the uniform, talking to you with that familiar Russian accent and the, the W's and the V's swapping. That is just so incredible. And, and I try to capture just what it's like in the book. I mean, just how amazing it was to get to go to his house, to rehearse with him, and then to be on set acting in Star Trek with him. And it was just beyond surreal.
0: And for the fans on the other side of that screen there it's interesting because i mean CBS has always been very clear about this is canon this is not and i mean it's as long as i've watched star trek there's always been a very clear line where that is but new voyages phase 2 those those chosen few fan productions have been kind of nudged as close to that line as they could possibly. the fans have adopted that in a big big way and have you guys felt that energy of being like kind of seen in the same pantheon as next gen DS9, the other spinoffs? I I wouldn't go so far as to say that. I will say that it was a, an extremely unique
1: experience. It it really was. I mean, we tried to capture this in the book. It, it's it's as close as we we ever got mm-hmm. uh, to actually working on an official production, but at the back of our mind we always knew that there was a lot of spit and polish and shoestring holding these productions together you know because we didn't have the studio budget we didn't have the studio resources you know a lot of this came from the the volunteers and one of the things that we both highlight are so many of the people who didn't get screen time i mean andy and i yes i mean you know we're we're recognized as characters who are up here on screen. But there were so many people behind the scenes, as with any production, but these were people who you know, would take time out of their day jobs and devote their time, their money, uh, to actually make this happen. And these productions were not cheap. They were extremely expensive. And we try to go into that uh, a little bit in the books and really just acknowledge so many of the people who really don't often get enough credit. And they, as we say, they were the real engineers. They were the real... Uh, people who flew, who made the Starship fly. I mean, if it wasn't for those fans, who were so dedicated, and, and especially the people in upstate New York, who throughout the year, even when we weren't filming, they were working on sets, painting, uh, you know, doing the carpentry and, and donating their time and their money. None of this would have ever happened.
2: And those fans definitely took it seriously. They yep. definitely treated New Voyages like they were making real Star Trek, and they were very proud to work on it. I mean, it didn't matter that we were filming in a garage filled with bats. They absolutely took their job seriously our makeup department our costuming department they worked their butts off to make it look yeah. like star trek and i think they did a fabulous job of accomplishing that and and i i think we never felt like we were making real star trek we felt like we were definitely having fun as star trek fans and there's certainly a pocket of star trek fans who were aware very aware of fan films and treated us like minor internet celebrities
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> which was nice <laughs> but and- uh,
1: And for Andy and I, it did open the door for us to audition for for parts in uh, J.J. Abrams, uh, you know, Star Trek film and that with that we cover in the second book.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, you know, for somebody who can just queue it up on YouTube, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But when you're waiting for these episodes to roll out, I got to stress, this was an almost annual episode schedule. When a new episode dropped, that was what you waited for all year long. Yeah. So that was a big day for the fans uh, us
1: too, <laughs> you know, you know, because, uh, you know, I, I mean, we have mostly fond memories, Aaron, but we also talk about some of the behind the scenes stuff. You know, as with any production, you're going to have tr- some drama. You're going to have, you know, some egos and things mm-hmm. like that. And, and we try to cover that as respectfully as possible. But, you know, just like the fans, you know, that we were kind of on pins and needles waiting for these episodes to come out, sometimes wondering, are they going to come out? Because yeah,
2: there was no guarantee.
1: No, no.
2: Even with Walter and George involved, there were times we thought Walter's episode would never come out. Or George's was,
1: episode will never come yeah. out. And mm-hmm. George's
2: episode had so much money behind it and so much effort behind it. And Mark Zacree, the director, brought it back to L.A. where he had a massive team to work on it. And still, they didn't get it out until a year after we filmed. That was kind of as hard as they tried. And, and often they would say, oh, we'll get this out in a few months. They never could get an episode out uh, until about a year and in after we filmed
1: to Serve on Middays, All My Days, as Andy reminded me when we were writing the books, actually came out after World Enough in Time had had its premiere. So the timeline right. is a little – as I like to say, it's like Back to the Future too, And that definitely was a challenge in writing two separate books because the production of the two episodes is so intertwined yeah. that we actually had to actually separate the two. Uh, to make them two books because originally Aaron we intended to write one book we we and as I like to tease Andy about one of his concerns was do we have enough to write a book I I feel like it's going to be a 12-page pamphlet next thing you know look look right behind Andy we've got two very very thick books about uh, making two two episodes so yeah plenty of fodder
2: but yeah there was so so full. Yeah, it was it was uh, difficult to write because, like John said, yeah, they were so interweaved that originally, as one book, it would have just been vastly confusing because the we world enough in time that plot that story would have begun halfway through the servant my days storyline, and it just would have been two stories kind of going at the same time. And so when we when we separated them, we had to kind of construct them in a way that they were self-contained
1: yeah and and I, I want to give a shout out to our editor editor Megan, who was just a master chef. you know Andy and I were just kind of like throwing ingredients around and it, you know whenever you work on a book or a film or any project, a, a great editor can really really help shape that and and you know credit to her for everything she did to help make that happen.
2: yeah.
0: Well, I know John's coming up on a time crunch here, and there's one question I definitely have to throw specifically at you. Yeah. Let me grab you while you're here. Yeah. World Enough in Time comes out, it is the masterpiece it is. Mm -hmm. And then not too long later, it gets a Rift Tracks treatment. How did (laughs) you feel about that? I was extremely flattered
1: by the riff track actually they did both episodes he did to serve all my days and world enough in time and in fact uh, not too long ago Andy and I were emailing because we were trying to find that because we actually I had a copy of it and I had sent Andy uh, a DVD of it a while ago but I think I'd lost it and I think Andy just found the track but I, I really think you know the the highest form of of flattery or acknowledgement is when you're being parodied parodied but especially by the mystery science 3000 guys i mean come on I, that is probably the highest compliment you can get and uh, if anything i think they were a little easy on us you know i i definitely i rewatched both episodes and there're definitely things that, that i sometimes cringe a little bit at just looking back in those days but uh Yeah, I I loved it. I I loved every minute of it. That was, Aaron, you you asked what it was like. Did we ever feel like we were a part of the spinoffs? I mean, that was probably about as close as we ever got to feeling really legitimized. It wasn't by CBS. It was by... You know, people like the Rift Tracks people making fun of it and and seeing these uh, media outlets like G four uh, talking about it and covering it. I mean, that's really where you, you get the kind of, wow, this is this is really crazy. This is kind of a pinch pinch me who me moment.
2: <laughs> yeah, those Rift Tracks guys, they actually I think they did Wrath of Khan too. So for them to be doing yeah. the real Star Trek and then coming along and doing our Star Trek was pretty amazing. And I, I remember I, I messaged one of those guys once, uh, and uh, letting them know how, how funny I thought the Rift Trap was. And, and they were really kind about it. They, they said they enjoyed the episode and they were very flattery towards me, very nice towards me. But, but I, I grew up watching those guys, so to have them doing our episode was like, wow. That was probably alongside of acting with, with Walter and, and meeting George and rehearsing at his house, that was probably the next pinch me moment was Rift Trap's guys doing our yeah. episode.
0: Yeah, I just have to throw it out there because, you know, Rift Tracks, is their spin on the MST3K format is that they are willing to do good stuff in addition to the turkeys that the MST3K did. <laughs> yeah. so it's, Hopefully it's, we fall into the former and not in the latter. I, <laughs> I think so. Um, because if you're talking like a one-off project, the only thing I can think of they've done is like the Star Wars Holiday Special, and I definitely don't want to put you in that category. <laughs> <laughs> so... Is there anything you're working on now aside from the book?
1: Well, I mean, I, I actually uh, just finished my next manuscript. It's a completely different book. Uh, it's a, it's a business book, and uh, right now I'm just in the middle of getting it edited. I'm I've actually uh, uh, I'm actually shopping it now to agencies and and publishers. So that's kind of keeping me busy. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm working on right now.
0: Well, I know better than to ask specifics because I know when you're shopping it around, you got to keep tight lips, but I'm interested. And when you oh. can talk, I'd love to hear about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Andy?
2: Yeah, same thing. I decided to take a break from uh, making fake Star Trek because uh, I, John doesn't have another story to tell, but I, I did a third making or <laughs> making fake Star Trek episode. I did a third <laughs> New Voyages episode, but after what was it, John, like three years of working three
1: on Three years. Aaron, in fact, it was three years ago, this time, that Andy and I were just at the very early stages of working on these books, and, and my daily thought was, this is a mountain to climb, and I have no idea how we're going to climb it.
2: Yeah, and we just got through it, so I wasn't eager to jump into another uh, fake Star Trek book. That's, that's on the to-do list maybe one day. Uh, is covering Blood and Fire, the David Gerald episode. Uh, at the moment, I'm working on a, a novel, a fiction novel.
0: Okay. Again, same disclaimer. Not going to ask, but would definitely like to know when you're ready.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. When it's ready, I'll let you know. Maybe
1: it. maybe you'll have us back on at that time. We could talk I, about two very different books. And, I would yeah. be
0: glad to because, you know, I, I realize you did the fake Star Trek, and that's awesome, but, you know, you've got a life that goes on. The fans have a life that goes on. I want to keep tabs on what motivates you here going forward. I mean, I would love to sit here and you know spin a wheel about, hey, what if you did a movie about making fake star Trek and it became this meta, but I don't expect you to just be bound to that forever.
1: (laughs) It'd be okay. I mean, you know, it's funny because these episodes we filmed, uh, well over 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that Andy and I were really curious about was what would be the reaction of our former castmates and our former crewmates who worked on this. And to our great surprise, many of them were like, wow, you know, this is exactly as I remember it. And you even shared things I had forgotten about or things I didn't know about. And so it begs the question, how were we able to write not just one, but two really big books on this? And as I like to say, it really started with the fact that Andy and I became good friends from these shows And we kept in touch over many years and we would hop on the phone like a pair of old men and just rehash the same stories about our days acting in this. So there's something to that period in our life, which we really hold with a lot of reverence. And so it, it really was because we told each other these stories over and over that we remembered them because I didn't keep a journal back then. I certainly didn't have like a YouTube channel where I was documenting all of this type of stuff. In fact, social media really wasn't a thing where it was just really just a kernel of an idea. So the only way we were able to even remember a lot of this was just by sharing the same stories over and over, uh, not only to each other, but to people in our lives and, that's really yeah. kind of how we were able to write the book about it.
2: Yeah, but we we do agree that it, it would make a heck of a television show if anyone decided to pick it up, that uh, it would be a fun kind of uh, comedic look at fandom.
1: Yeah, so John Hurwitz, if you're listening to
0: this, you know, I think uh, this would be a great project for you to work <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah, And and the way I see it, Andy is going to get cast as Walter. I uh, would get cast as I Andy and somebody else. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh yeah yeah that that would be funny and to me at least
1: yeah Uh a cameo would be I think I I think that would be at least tradition right I mean they did that with Tommy Wiseau and the the disaster artist so you know uh, I think that would be that would at least be a nice nod
0: and then Walter himself has to get cast as like the cabbie who drives you from the airport or something (laughs) there you go yeah that would that would actually be pretty fitting
1: I think I could picture that
0: (laughs) yeah. But like you're saying that it was, you're glad you you put all these stories together and you hashed them out. Um, you you read George Takei's book, Yes. And uh, I'm sure you have probably read some of the other ones by Nimoy and Shatner. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it's when you look at those different people telling the same stories from different perspectives, it becomes really easy to kind of picture what it must have been like. So getting started with these two books here is probably going to be a a really valuable thing 15, 20 years from now when people are looking back on this project. And they will. Yeah, I hope so. I I, I mean, our goal was really when we wanted
1: the reader to feel like that they're sitting down with us over a meal or over the phone and we're just telling them the stories of what it was like. Uh, You know, just everything you would want to know about acting or participating in a project like this.
2: Yeah, so Star Trek, this era of Star Trek history, this fan film era is a history interesting history i mean there are so many star trek fan films continues Hidden frontier exeter and no one has written any kind of book that covers any of them the making of fan films, what it's like to make a fan film so I, I feel like at least in that context it's an interesting story that no one else has told and that i think would interest a lot of fans to know you know even if they don't know new voyages to know just what it's like working with yeah. your heroes trying to make an episode of star trek
0: yeah and these things are always on a, a hair uh <clears throat> they're always hanging by a thread uh were you guys familiar with ajax at all I think outside we, of the um,
1: the was that another star trek fan production it was a, a production
0: um and it was also a set available for any basically being able, available for other productions oh, Interesting. Uh, it was located in oklahoma city for a while i had the chance to visit when it was oh, still wow. here Mm-hmm. And, and the point I'm getting at is that it wasn't long after that that things happened uh, and they had to get rid of it. And they couldn't mm. find a new home for it, so it was literally yeah. destroyed. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, I, to the best of my knowledge, I could be wrong, but that, that was the last I heard. And that could have happened to New Voyages. It could have happened to Continues. It could have happened to any of these other productions. It, it only lasts as long as the luck lights out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a very, very as Andy said, it's a very interesting time. So that's the other thing that we try to convey in these books. Cause the right now we, there's so many, as you probably know, there's so many rules and regulations on fan films. These episodes couldn't be made today. I mean, there's no way under the current regulations that CBS has. And, and rightly so. I mean, they're very protective of their copyright as there should, as they should be. But this was a really interesting time where, Yeah, basically, the powers that be kind of looked the other way. And it was a time where, you know, fans were creating their own Star Trek because there was a little bit of a lull between the time where Enterprise went off the air and J.J. came back with his vision of Star Trek. So very interesting time and, uh, you know, one that won't ever come again.
0: Yeah, Yeah. that's why I felt the need to say right up front, like, this is a weird moment we're going to talk about here. when star trek wasn't big money when people you know you could have gotten it for a song and they start cbs looked the other way and even when jj movies came out it took a while to really be convinced that that wasn't a a one-shot thing that there was going to be there was room for not just one but five new series Mm -hmm. yeah so i'm glad we live in this age now but that was a fun time to watch (laughs) yeah it was okay well, John, I know you've got to go, and I appreciate yes. you being here. So I oh, really don't you. want I don't want to hold you anymore, and I really hope I can have you back.
1: Absolutely, here. be a pleasure. Thank you so much, Aaron, for for having me. And I, I just want to say to your listeners, I mean, you know, uh, making a podcast is hard, so definitely leave a rating and review, and it it helps out as a fellow podcaster. I know that it's it's uh it's a lot of work, so I want to thank you so much, Aaron, for having both of us on the show.
0: Gladly. And I'm going to make sure your podcast gets put on our show notes so anybody who's listening can check that out. And Andy, thank you again so much for doing this. And I I really appreciate all the stories and I love the book.
2: My pleasure. Thank Uh, you you. for saying that. That's very kind.
0: Thank you guys so much and I hope you have back soon. Thank you. You too. I would really like to thank Andy and John for being my guests today and I would like to thank you for listening. For the community building part of the show today I want to get away from traditional social media. I always ask people to check out the show on Twitter and Facebook and that's all well and good but where I think our show shines is in creating discussion and getting fans to interact with each other and the better places for that are on things like web forums, or social media groups, or message board services, things like that, places where you're going to actually have constructive conversations online, or possibly in real life, if you could recommend to those people to check out Hungry Trilobite, and I would recommend in particular, pick a specific episode and recommend that. Let people try just one show. For example, if you're really into Star Trek and you're listening to this particular episode, go ahead and suggest I listen to episode 6 with Nana Visitor, or any of the episodes with Madison Spencer Engel. We've got a lot of great content specifically for certain fandoms, so go ahead and give that a suggestion to anybody who would listen. Don't forget you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, YouTube and we are syndicated on Realm of the Mist, a fantastic podcast network. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.